1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 23. The Bible said that the gospel is the power of God to save those that believe. Amen? It is the power of God. What is the gospel? Now in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and beginning at verse 23, the Bible says this. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God. What is he called, beloved? The power of God. Now, I want you to begin to put it together. If Romans chapter 1, that was written by the Apostle Paul, just like 1 Corinthians was, so it's the same person speaking. He knows what he's talking about. If the Apostle Paul in one place says that the gospel is the power of God to save the believer, and then in another place he says that Christ is the power of God, do you see why we conclude that the gospel is a person? That the gospel is in fact Jesus Christ? That the good news is in fact a person and God wants us to have him close personal and intimately. This morning we spent some time together. Um, we're studying. And one of the things we saw is that Jesus actually cares about our families. He's trying to bring us together. He's trying to reconcile our homes. He wants to remove old sorenesses and old disputes. He wants us to have heaven on earth, to experience that. And it was a story that came to my head. I didn't share it this morning, but I'm going to share it right now of a, a, a situation that happened while I was at work. This was 2019. There was a sister that was in the emergency room, and she was in the emergency room, and she's screaming, and she's crying. For those of you who may not have been here yesterday, I work as an EMT by trade back in New York. I work uh, in the ambulance company. That's what I do. And we're in the hospital, in the ER, and the woman is screaming her head off, and she's ah, just going absolutely nuts. And I'm walking into the ER and I hear her and she, you know, everybody, you know, when you hear things that are, that are loud, everybody looks in the same place. I said, if there ever was a loud cry, you would all look in the same place. Amen. That's for later. When there is a lot of noise, people tend to look in one direction. So this woman is screaming and she's crying and she's carrying on. She's on the bed and she's shaking it. And I, I walked up to her and I, I grabbed her by the hand and I said, what is going on? Are you all right? You know what she says to me? She says, listen, I'm in so much pain. I, I, I'm allergic to morphine. I said, all right, well, I pray they don't give you that, um, but if you're in pain, let me talk to the doctor. She says, no, don't bring the doctor over here. I, I said, well, well, I'm not qualified, to, I'm an EMT. I have to get the physician. The physician and I work together. I bring you here and I bring you home, but he keeps you while you're here, so I have to talk to the doctor. She says, no, the doctor was the one who put the morphine in my IV drip. I said, wait a minute, you're allergic to morphine? Did you tell the physician that? She says, yes but he wouldn't listen to me. So I'm looking at the woman. The woman is, is starting to get hives on her arm, all red. You've seen that before, right, hives? All over her arm, it's red. And the woman is crying now. And I, and I took her hand and I said, listen, I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to be right here with you. Let my partner go. Uh, that was David. I said, let my partner go and speak with, with the physician. He's going to get the physician. Now, my partner is of a different disposition than I am. Uh, he's not a Christian, but when he cares about something, you'll know he's very passionate about it. So David went over to the physician, and I can hear him you know, yelling and screaming and using words that I wouldn't use from this pulpit. And as he's speaking to, 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 the, to the doctor, he's saying, you, you, how could you give the woman what she said she was allergic to? They have files and charts. EMTs take PCRs, person, uh, patient care reports. We document these things. How could you miss it? Her sister was in the ER. 
And her sister walks up to me, and she removes my hand from her sister, and she says, you people are all the same. You come in here, and you act like you care about us, and then we're allergic to things, and you put it in our IV drip. You put pills in our mouths. You do all these things, and you never even asked. You never even asked. I didn't say anything, because it wasn't my fault. I'm just listening. I understand the disposition. She's upset. Anybody whose loved one is hurt, you're going to feel the same way. I'm listening. Her sister looks over to her, and she says, shut your mouth. She used other words, but as I said, I won't use it from the pulpit. Be quiet. And her sister stops yelling and she looks at her and she says, why? She said, that man right there who took my hand and spoke with me since he's been in the ER, that's an angel sent by God. Now, I'll confidently tell you from right now, I'm not an angel. I'm simply Brother Paul. But the point of the story is that as we begin to demonstrate what we are learning in our Bible, people begin to see Jesus in ways that even sermons could never teach them. Do you know that a well-ordered and disciplined family has more power to reach the soul than any sermon? Beloved, Jesus is going to make us living epistles, and he's actually able to do that. Now, let's get into the study, because I don't want to stay there too long. We have three questions that we want answered tonight. The first, where is Jesus? Can anybody answer that question for me? I want the, the most general answer you can think of. If he's not on earth, then Jesus must be where? Praise God. We're on the same page. Jesus Christ is in heaven. Now, where specifically in heaven is a very important topic that we're going to discuss later on. If I told you that I was in the church, wouldn't you wonder if I was in the bathroom or if I was in the kitchen or if I was in the sanctuary or if I was downstairs or if I was in a parking lot? Is that important information? It's not enough to know the, the general. You have to understand the specifics. Generally now, that's where we are tonight. Generally speaking, Jesus Christ is in heaven and Jesus has been there from the day that he left this earth. Amen? Did he promise to return? The next question, why isn't he here yet? Why, why the delay? Why, why is it taking so long for Jesus to come back? That's the study for tonight. And the third question is a question that I leave entirely with you. The, answer, uh, the question is, how long is long enough? Beloved, we're going to see that there's a connection between whether or not we actually want him to come back and this long delay that we've had waiting for Christ. When God has a people on earth who love him more than anything, that would give anything and everything to see him return, do you know he's going to come back for that bride? That's our study for tonight. Where is Jesus? And why the delay? Christ's return. How soon does the Bible say until Jesus returns? In the book of Acts, chapter 1, beginning at verse 10, the Bible says, And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, speaking of the disciples, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, You men of Galilee. Why stand you here gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus. Which Jesus, beloved? This same Jesus. Let me tell you something. If you have a relationship with Jesus tonight, do you know the very same Jesus you know? It's this same Jesus that is coming to see you again. It's that exact same Jesus. The reason why it's important to form that close and intimate and personal relationship, even beginning tonight, is because if it's this same Jesus that is coming back and you have no relationship with him today, would he recognize you when he shows up? 
God knows all things. Did you know the Bible says that when Jesus comes, there is a class of people to whom he says, depart from me, I never knew you. Does God know all things? Yes. Does he know who Brother Paul is? Yes, he does. He knows each and every one of us. So the question is, how, how do we reach a place with the Lord where he's comfortable telling us he never knew us? Lord, you knew me in the womb. You knew me in my mess back there before you called me into the gospel. You knew me at the pulpit. You knew me all throughout the, week of, uh, uh, the three weeks that we spent together here at Battle Creek. You knew me. So how can you say you don't know me? Knowing someone is not about knowledge alone, beloved. It's about relationship. What is it about? Relationship. Husbands and wives, you guys know each other in ways that nobody else can know that person. Isn't that right? Yes. That's what time with somebody will do to you. That's exactly what time will do. Jesus, the the Bible says that this same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. We're going to take a look at three texts from the Bible. Uh, Two texts, rather. Revelation chapter 22. Let's go there. Revelation chapter 22, we're dealing with the question right now, what does the Bible say about the second coming of Jesus Christ? Revelation chapter 22, let's begin at verse 6. The Bible says, and he said unto me, these sayings are faithful and what? True, so we can believe it. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. Behold, I come how? Now, in your Bible, what color are those words? Red. Those words in your Bible ought to be red. See, that's a double. Those words in your Bible ought to be red, as in you must read them. But what I'm saying is the color red. Amen? Those words in your Bible ought to be red. And that means that who is speaking? Jesus said, Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Jump down to verse 12. Jesus speaks again. He says, And behold, I come how? Quickly. And my reward is with me to give every man according as his works shall be. In the book of James chapter 5, Jesus says that his coming is near even at the door. How many of you came into this sanctuary through those doors back there? Or maybe this one right here? Every one of us. How many of you took 2,000 years between one side of the door into the room? I would say you have either either really bad, uh, uh, I would say you have poor time management. Let's leave it at that. If it took you 2,000 years to get from one side of the door into the room, then you have poor time management. But beloved, Jesus said, I am coming quickly. In James chapter 5, the Bible says he is even at the door. Revelation chapter 3 tells you the reason he hasn't come through the door is because he's been knocking at the door of our hearts. Think about that. I want you to see that Jesus is a God that respects our choice. Seriously. God has all the power in the universe. If he wanted to to take anything, wouldn't he have the power to do so? If Jesus wants to come into a room, do you think there's anyone in this room, I don't care how many men of us are in here, do you know that if we tried to keep Jesus out, we don't have the power to keep him out if he wanted to come in? But the Bible says there's one thing that would keep Jesus out. He says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If any man hears my voice and will open the door. 
Do you know that Jesus will not enter a place where he's not welcomed? Jesus will never enter a place where he is not invited. Jesus, let me tell you something about Jesus that I've learned. Jesus will visit a man anywhere. But Jesus will not dwell just anywhere. Jesus will enter into a home to find his lost coin. Did you know that? He'll enter any home. David said, if I make my bed in hell, brothers and sisters, behold, I find you there. But Jesus won't live there. Jesus enters into our homes to find us. He leaves us in a better condition. He may enter into a place that had the condition of hell, but every time he leaves, it has the condition of heaven. That's what Jesus does. Now, the Bible says that that same Jesus is coming quickly, that his coming is near, even at the door. On our screen, we have a picture of a little boy. Just imagine that this is your your brother, your son. This little boy is on his way to school, let's say, and he, and he goes outside and he says, Mommy, I'm going to be back. I'm going to the bus. I'll be back after school. School might end about 2.50, 3 o'clock. You know the times. And he says, I'll be back soon, quickly. All right? And then your son or your brother does not come back for 2,000 years. What do you do? Somebody said, worry. Somebody's thinking, call the police. Amen? You got to make a report about that. 2,000 years? Well, you might not even be around to see what, what, what happened, where he went. 2,000 years, the point is, is an awfully long time for someone who says they're coming quickly, isn't it? Let's get to the bottom of this, beloved. The Bible says in Titus chapter 2, speaking of us, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. The second coming for nearly 2,000 years has been called the blessed hope of the Christian. We're looking for Jesus, we're waiting for Jesus, we're hoping that Jesus comes back in our generation. That is our blessed hope. But did you know the Bible says that hope deferred makes the heart sick? That word deferred, it means delayed. When you're hoping for something, beloved, and it's delayed just long enough, do you know you get tired of waiting? Is there anybody in here who knows how to bake? I'm going to talk to you, my brother. Sometimes my mother would be in the kitchen, uh, back when I lived with her, she would be in the kitchen, and she would be cooking something, and she's making food, and and I'm in my room, and I'm sitting there, and and I wasn't hungry before. But as I'm smelling the aroma come under the door into the room, you know what happens to me, right? I get hungry. I'm sitting there, and I'm like, Lord, you know, I know I got to study the Bible, but but Lord, the pie, I have to get a slice. I, I have to get some of what's going on out there. It's so good. And I'm sitting there, and I'm waiting, and I'm hoping. I'm doing what? Hoping. Do you know that when you're hoping for something that you really love and that you want, it'll disappoint you the longer it takes? I begin to get a little bit impatient, still respectful, but I say, Mom, could we hurry this up a little bit? And because she loves me, we put a step in it, amen? The pie comes out tasting good, I eat it. The Bible says, when the desire cometh, or in Brother Paul's case, when the pie comes, it is a tree of life. We have been waiting and hoping for the coming of Christ, and the Bible says that the reason Christ hasn't come back yet is because no one yet has reached the point where we're homesick. Beloved, are we sick of this world yet? Are we sick of the the wars and the rumors of wars, of the earthquakes, of the pestilences, of COVID? Are we sick of it yet, beloved? Because until we reach that point, Jesus cannot step in. Jesus, I told you, will never enter a place where he's not invited, would never stay in a place where he's not welcome, and until we open the door of our hearts to him. 
He's going to remain right there on the outside, 2,000, 2,001, 2,002 years, knocking on the door of our hearts. Now, I want you to understand something else about Jesus. Jesus is intelligent. So while Jesus has been knocking at the door for over 2,000 years, yes, do you know there eventually comes a time where Jesus has to stop knocking? If I locked you out of the house, Sister Ashley, God forbid, and you were out there knocking and knocking, and you're staying there, summer, winter, fall, rain, snow, all of these things, hail, how long would you stay there knocking? You'll come right back inside. Not, not, not long at all. Well, by the grace of God, I'd let you in right away. Not long at all. And she has her own keys, so don't worry about that. Not long at all. The point is, Jesus has been knocking at the door of our hearts. Jesus won't be there forever, beloved. The Bible says, today. When? Today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. Beloved, why should we wait for another night to say yes to Jesus? I told you this morning, Jesus did not wait until you were born to commit sin, to commit to saving you. The Bible says that he is the Lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the world. While he knows, think about this. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it's the love chapter in the Bible. Do we believe that God is love? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I want to show you something special about God. Something about his character. Because every time I'm looking at his character, it's the character of God that, that melts my heart, that makes me want to be more and more like Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning at verse 4, speaking of love, it's called charity, but charity means love. The Bible says, charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not, charity vaunteth not itself, it is not puffed up, it doth not behave itself unseemly. Charity seeketh not her own, it is not easily provoked, it thinketh no evil, it rejoiceth not in iniquity, but it rejoiceth in the truth. Verse 7. It beareth all things, believeth all things. What are the next three words? Hopeth all things. I want you to begin to think. Put your thinking caps on. Listen to this. How does God know all things and simultaneously hope all things? Now, in our human understanding, does that seem to make sense? You know all things. You know, all, you know everyone that will be saved. You know everyone that will reject the sacrifice. And yet you hope all things. The Bible says in John chapter 3 and verse 16, For God so loved the Christian uh, that he gave his only begotten son. That's right, Pastor. You better stop me. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, For God so loved the... How many people does that include? Everybody, believer and non-believer alike, amen? Every single person is loved of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth should not perish but have everlasting life. Now question, while God has given the gift of his son to every man, how many men? Every man. Will every man receive him? No. And that's our personal choice, amen? Amen? That's our personal choice. Now, did Jesus know that there would be people that rejected him when he went to the cross? Did he still die for those people? Think about that. Jesus knows when a man will reject him, Sister Ashley. But in spite of that knowledge, there's something in him that loves that person. I know you'll reject me. I don't care 
I have to commit myself to you. Jesus knows you will reject me. You will spit on me. You will pull my beard. Now, my beard isn't long enough, but I know it hurts. And yet still, Jesus is willing to lay down his life for that man. Do you know there are people in this world today who hate God? Literally. I was reading a book just the other day by a man named uh, Dan Barker, I believe is his name. It's called God, the Most Unpleasant Character in All of Fiction. He works with uh, 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 Darkens or Darwins or one of them. And I'm reading the book, and as I'm reading, I'm just like, Lord, this is, this is interesting stuff. I can't believe that somebody could dislike you so much. If I could get an opportunity just to sit down with my brother and to let him know that you knew he'd write this book, and while you knew that he would write the book, you died for that very man. Beloved, that's a commitment that I don't understand. Love knows all things, but it still hopes all things. Think about Lucifer. God made Lucifer, didn't he? Did God make the devil? No, Lucifer made the devil. God made Lucifer, but Lucifer by choice perverted himself. Amen? And we'll see that as we move forward. But God made Lucifer. Did God know that Lucifer would become the devil? Have you ever asked yourself, why make a person like that anyway? You know what's going to happen, what he's going to choose to be, but you still made him in spite of the fact that it would put you on a cross. Further down the line, God still created this angel, beautiful angel. We're going to study about him. Beautiful angel with the hope that in spite of what I know, you would choose the right path. And he made every sacrifice necessary to ensure that Lucifer would choose the right path. Is Lucifer still Lucifer today? Today, he is Satan, the adversary of our souls. Beloved, God respects our choice. God knocks at the door of our hearts, but he can only knock for so long. There comes a time where your decision becomes solidified, where you're either sealed or you're marked. Hope delayed makes the heart sick. Are we homesick yet for Jesus to come? Now, the answer to that question depends on whether or not heaven is the desire of your heart. How many of you in this room want to go to heaven? I anticipated every hand. Everyone in this room wants to go to heaven or we wouldn't be here. Everybody wants to see Jesus. We want to go to heaven. But beloved, have you ever considered what is your definition of heaven? Is heaven streets of gold? Or is heaven long walks in the cool of the day taking Jesus by the hand? Is heaven merely fruit from the tree of life? Or is heaven standing there with Jesus under the tree of life as he breaks down the, 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 the components of that fruit? Listen, I want to learn from Jesus. As much as I love studying the Bible, sometimes I'm sitting here and I'm reading this thing and I'm saying, Lord, this is wonderful, but I can't wait to be face to face with you. For you to break this thing down for me in ways that I could never break it down from the pulpit. Do you know that Jesus wants to talk to us personally? That's what I want. That's the desire of my heart. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 21, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So if we're not homesick yet to get to heaven, it's because heaven is not yet the desire of our hearts. The heart follows the treasure. I want to share a quotation from the book, The Desire of Ages, page 331 in paragraph 3. And I'm going to be sharing books like this with you throughout the course of our time together because I want you to see that the things in these books, they, they line up with the scripture in such a way that the scriptures are just, are just beautified and magnified. Have you ever sat down and tried to read the King James Version and sometimes it's like, Lord, what hath thus done? What are you saying, Lord? You know it's true. I've been there before. 
Now, I love my King James Version Bible. That's my favorite. That's my Bible right here. I keep it with me. I, I, I'm thankful for, for, for books that, that highlight, and inspiration that highlight and help us to see deeper things that we wouldn't see otherwise. This is one of these books. In the book, The Desire of Ages, page 331, we're told, as through Jesus, we enter into rest. Heaven begins where? Here. We respond to his invitation, come, learn of me, and in thus coming, we begin the life eternal. Heaven, she's about to define it, hear it, heaven is a ceaseless approaching to God through Christ. What is heaven? A ceaseless approaching to God through Christ. Wouldn't you like to go to the Father through Jesus Christ over and over and over again? If we don't know the answer to the question, it's because we've yet to reach the experience. Do you know that Jesus said in Matthew, uh, no, Jesus said in John chapter 14 and verse 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Think about it. What did Jesus mean when he said no man comes to the Father but by me? Was Jesus saying, if you're Muslim, right, you're not coming to the Father. Why? Because I'm the bodyguard. Is that what Jesus meant? No. Listen closely to what he said. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. But no man comes to the Father but by me. What that means is that Jesus is not the bodyguard of the Father. He is the invitation to the Father. Do you know that there's not a person in this room who desires God until they see Jesus? There's not a person in this room who sees anything lovely about God until they see Jesus. Jesus is the way to the Father. He, in other words, he's, he's, he's the door. Amen? He is the door that we step to. And so Jesus looks at the Muslim man who believes in what he believes, and he says to him, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest as well. And do you know that when the, when the Muslim man finds Jesus, the Muslim man can approach the Father through Christ, just as we can. Beloved, I want you to understand that Jesus is not an exclusive God. He's not seeking to bar men out when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is seeking to invite us in. And that's how you and I have to become. In the SDA Bible Commentary, Volume 7, I have the best definition of heaven I have ever read. It says, the definition of heaven is the presence of Christ. Question, is there a real place called heaven? Yes, there is. Now, if you didn't believe that, I, I, I'd be a little concerned. There is a very actual real place called heaven. But in principle, what we're saying here is that the definition of heaven is the presence of Christ. Do you know that if you went up into the physical place of heaven today and Jesus wasn't there, it wouldn't feel like heaven to you? In the same way, if I were to go to your house and walk in there and you weren't there, it wouldn't feel like your home to me. It is the family that makes the home. Just like it is Jesus that makes heaven. Are you seeing the point? Family composes a home. It's not buildings and walls and windows. It's the people. And in the same way, it's not streets of gold that make heaven, but it's the man, Christ Jesus. Jesus said, or rather the book of Revelation chapter 22 and verse 20 says, He which testifieth these things says, Surely I come how? Quickly. And the response of you and I is recorded right here in the Bible. It says, amen. What's the next two words? Even so, come Lord Jesus. Do you know that the words even so imply an inconvenience? 
The words, even so, imply that you had other plans. Lord, I was looking down the line, and I'm looking at this thing, and I want to get this degree, and I want to get that degree. I want to finish school. I want to get married. I want to have kids. I want to do all these things. But your word says that if I give you my heart today, you can come in a few short years. If that's the case, then I'd rather Jesus than anything else. And the response of my heart is, though I had this plan, even so, come Lord Jesus. Do you see that? The words even so imply that we had another plan. God says that he's getting ready to prepare a people, and the response of their heart to the fact that Jesus is coming quickly is even so, come Lord Jesus, in spite of everything I have planned. Take all of me. Prepare me that I may see you in peace. God desires a close, intimate, and personal relationship with you and I. From now on, we're going to simply call it a CIP because that that, that takes a long time to say. God desires a CIP with you and I. Amen? And now you'll know what I mean when I say that. Amen? The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 3, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always, beloved, to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you, with meekness and in fear. Now we know that the coming of Christ is the hope of the Christian, it is the blessed hope. Are you ready to go out there and answer why your hope has been deferred for so long? Are we ready yet? We're gonna get there. You know the Bible speaks of somebody called the scoffer. And what the word scoffer implies, it means uh, it's not just a disbeliever, it's somebody who, uh, who evaluates all of the evidences And in light of the evidences, they say, you sound crazy. You're saying Jesus is coming soon, and the disciples were saying that in 31 AD. You live in 2021 of October, so you're entering into 2022, but you're preaching the same thing that these men, these fishermen were preaching in 31 AD. You sound crazy. They scoff at it. We've been preaching for years that this generation will see Jesus, and generation after generation has passed, and still he has not yet come. The Bible says in 2 Peter, knowing this first, that there shall come in the what days? The last days. Scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? You say he's coming, right? Where's the promise of that? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. I have sat down in Revelation seminars, and I've heard about the earthquakes, and guess what's going to happen next year? More earthquakes. I have sat down in Revelation seminars, and I've heard about the famines and the pestilences, and guess what's going to be happening next year? Famines and pestilences. I showed you in the the first night, just last night, that the only thing in that entire chapter of Matthew chapter 24 that has not yet happened is that this gospel of the kingdom has yet to be preached in all the world, not as a sermon, but as a witness. Can they see what you believe? Before you open your mouth, is Jesus known? That is what we're waiting for, beloved. The Bible explains that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. As some men count slackness, but he is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Do you know that Jesus has not yet come back because he wants everyone in this room to be saved? 
Everyone in this room. Sister Ashley and I, just a month ago, uh, in August, the first week of August, we were at a set of meetings. We were doing some studies with some young people out there. It was a blessing in Alabama. And I remember the first night, there was another minister. He was speaking, and he was sharing these things. And I remember that day I spoke too when I was explaining how time is very short and it's very precious. The amount of time that we have together, it, it, listen, it's significant. Do you know that when, when people die, they'll take the birth date Let's say you were born 1992 like I was. They'll take your birth date, the beginning, and in the, the year that you die, by the grace of God, I want to be on the, uh, in the 144,000, so I don't want to die. I want to go up higher with Jesus, amen? But let's say I did pass away, God forbid. They would take that date, and do you know that the, the summary of my life is no more than a dash in between those two dates? Time is so short. I remember at the end of that, the, 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 that very meeting, the, uh, the minister was talking about it, and we, he said, everyone needs to come up, we need to pray. We're asking, we had to pray. There was a family in the room that heard the message, and the very same day, their son was in a car accident, and he died instantly. Beloved, time is very short. We may not have tomorrow. Tomorrow's not promised. You know that by the time tomorrow comes, it's today. So in reality, does tomorrow ever come? All we have is right now. All we have is right now, and the Bible says that God is not willing that any of us should, be, should perish, but that all of us should come to repentance, and Jesus has not yet returned because Jesus is, 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 is stretching the time for you and I as long as he can. But I promise you, beloved, the day comes when Jesus shows up. Now, on our screen, we have a summary of our current dilemma. This blue line on the screen represents the time from the beginning of Jesus' ascension according to Acts chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. The disciples were there on the day that he resurrected, and they're sitting there. Uh, uh, well, not the day he resurrected, because Jesus was there for a little while after that. But the disciples were there with Jesus, and they're talking with him. And as they talked with him, we read it earlier, Jesus was caught up into the heavens. And the angel said to them, this same Jesus is coming again. That was in the year 31 A.D., but beloved, are we in the year 31 AD? Are we, in the, are we in the year 31 AD tonight? No, we're in the year 2021. But from 31 AD, the message, get ready, Jesus is coming again, has been faithfully preached by men and women of God who believe the word of Christ. Isn't that so? Beloved, that is 1,990 years. By show of hands, how many of you are that old in here today? Not one. All that tells me is that we weren't there initially when the promise was given, but because of the work of those who were there when the promise was given, we in the year 2021 have something to stand on. We believe what they uh, preached, and we're here in 2021 saying the exact same words. My question to you is when the disciples preached that in 31 AD, do you believe that they thought Jesus was coming right away? In 2021, when we preach it, do you think we believe that Jesus is coming right away? You better believe it. The question is, what is the difference between 31 AD and 2021? What has Jesus been doing in heaven for 1,990 years? Turn in your Bible to the book of John chapter 14. We're getting to the answer to the question, why the delay? John chapter 14. Matthew Mark, Luke, and John, chapter 14, 
We're going to begin at verse 1. Say amen when you're with me. The Bible says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, what? Are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go for what purpose? To prepare a place for you. Verse 3. And if I go, did he go? He says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Jesus said, I have to leave you to prepare a place. Amen? And if I go and prepare the place, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to come again, and I'm going to receive you unto myself. Did he go? Has he come again? So then he's still preparing a place. Now follow me. The text said, in my father's house, what? Are many mansions. That word are, is it past tense? It's present tense, my sister. So then when Jesus said those words, in my father's house are many mansions, then at the moment he said it, guess what? There were many mansions. But Jesus said he was going to prepare a place. So then, is Jesus in heaven today chiseling out the finest granite for our kitchen counters in heaven? Is that what he's doing? Is Jesus in heaven rolling out the carpet? What is he doing in heaven? He said, I go to prepare a place, right? But he said, in my father's house are many mansions. The moment he said it, the mansions were already there. So then Jesus is not preparing a physical dwelling right now that's already prepared for us. The question we should have in our hearts then is what does it mean to prepare a place? Is that a good question? If the mansions are ready, then there's something physical for me to walk into. But if you're still preparing a place since 31 AD, I want to go home already. Teach me how to get prepared. What does it mean to prepare a place? Before we answer the question, what does it mean to prepare a place, I want you to see that there are consequences to this delay. The fact that Christ has not yet returned from 31 AD, do you know that there are many things that have happened because Jesus has not yet come? And until Jesus comes, more and more and more terrible things are getting ready to unfold. In the year 1914 to the year 1918, we had what was known as World War I, correct? And there was an estimation of about 40 million deaths. Is that a lot of death? Do you think God is happy about that? But then after World War I, we took it up a step higher. There was World War II from 1939 to about 1945, and there was an estimated 85 million deaths, which at the time was about 3% of the world's population. August 6, 1945, we had the Hiroshima bombing, which claimed about 199,000 lives. September 11, 2001, I remember I was either in, uh, I think I was in fifth grade. I was sitting in the classroom, and my teacher ran in. She opened, let me tell you, when I tell you, she opened the door, Sister Ashley. She came into the room, and she, she takes the ruler, and she throws it down, and she's picking up the phone, and she's saying, we are under attack. 
I'm sitting there, you know, I'm, I'm young, I'm a fifth grader at the time, and I'm sitting there, I don't understand what's going on. I just know that something very serious is happening, and my teacher is very passionate about it. So I'm sitting here, and I'm listening, and I'm, I'm watching, and, and, and I'm watching parents come in, and they're picking up their children. When I, tell, when I say picking up their children, I mean literally picking up these fifth graders and running out the door with the children. 2001, beloved, the war on terror, as we call it, began. And at the time, it claimed about 3,000 deaths. Is that a lot of death? Do you suppose God is happy about that? No. I have an uncle who actually worked in the World Trade Center. And I remember that the day of the bombing, right before, he was supposed to start, I believe it was an hour before the first plane hit. Uncle Vic. About an hour before the plane hit, I believe it was. And, and, and something told him not to go into work that day. He didn't go. Just an hour later, you're turning on the television, one tower goes down. And at first, everybody was thinking, some type of malfunction, not when tower two went down. The second tower went down and everybody said, no, we must be under attack right now. Every person in America, yea, every person in the world on 9-11 knew that we were living in solemn times. It was a signal all across the world that the generation in which we find ourselves is not the generations from before. Let me tell you something, beloved. In days past, not a man on this planet would dare to attack the superpower that we know as the United States of America. Did you know that? What has happened? What has changed? Did you see what happened on January 6th of this year at the capital of the United States? Did you see what happened? Beloved, that, that, that is unheard of. That has never been seen before. You cannot convince me that we're living in times that are anything like the times before us. Something has changed. Something has happened. Something is going on. And Jesus is seeking to prepare a people to deal with the final issues at this time. But then 2019 hits, and we have what we know as COVID-19, which at the time, uh, recently, has claimed about 4 million 571,957 deaths and counting. Is that a lot of death? Is God happy about it? So then why isn't he back yet? The longer that we delay the coming of Christ, the more death, the more suffering, the more funerals, the more burials. Beloved, all of these things are only occurring because Christ has not yet come. And there are people in the world who don't understand what we're getting ready to understand in these next last 10 minutes. They don't understand. Why is it? Doesn't Jesus care? We're losing people because we're failing to recognize the connection between our heart condition and why Christ has not yet returned. Let me tell you something. I believe that Jesus is, is in heaven right now, uh, seated on the throne, and, and he's gripping the throne waiting. He said, we lost another one and another one. A world of people that are dying and Christians are asleep. Matthew 25 says that before Christ comes back, all of the virgins, wise or foolish, they were all asleep. But at midnight, a cry was heard. And every one of those virgins representing the church, everyone, whether you're wise or you're foolish, do you know what they did? They all woke up. Beloved, there are things that are going on right now that God is seeking to use as a wake-up call to you and I. 9-11, wake-up call. COVID-19, wake-up call. January 6, 2021, wake-up call. Jesus is trying to get our attention. I think we ought to take heed to what he's trying to say before it's too late.
What does it mean to prepare a place? Jesus has already prepared the mansions, so what does it mean to prepare a place for you? On our screen, we have a picture of a very wonderful orange. Mm. But there's a problem with the picture, isn't there? The picture says not every place that you fit in is where you belong. What's wrong with the picture, beloved? That, that, that's a beautiful orange. I, I can imagine that if I could just pluck it out of the picture and begin to eat, good, good, good. But by the time I reach that garlic clove, something happens, isn't it? That garlic clove is not going to taste like the rest because while it is the right shape, while it has the right form, the Bible says we can have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. Not every place we fit in is where we belong. When the Bible speaks about Jesus preparing a place, Jesus doesn't want us to belong, as it were with this picture, to belong to the orange merely in shape. He doesn't want us to belong to his church just because we know when to worship or just because we know what songs to sing or just because we know where the text in the Bible are located. Jesus wants you to belong because you belong by nature. I heard Pastor Bernardo say something about us becoming partakers of the divine nature. Jesus wants us to belong in heaven, not just because we look the part, but because by the grace of God, we are the part. Jesus wants to take you and I and make us law-abiding citizens of his kingdom. This is what it means to prepare a place. Now, there was somebody in the Bible who lost their place in heaven. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 12, beginning at verse 7, and there was what? War in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was there place. Jesus is preparing a what? Place. This dragon lost his what? Place. Neither was there place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and... So in Bible prophecy, when we're talking about the dragon in a, in, a, in a primary sense, the dragon symbolizes that old serpent called the devil and Satan. So what we're seeing here in Revelation chapter 12, the Bible says that Satan lost his place in heaven. Our question should be, well, first, does God play favoritism? The Bible says that God is no respecter of persons. All that means is that God esteems us exactly the same. He values us the same. He's not going to uh, kick you out of heaven for one reason, Sister Ashley, and then let me in when I'm in the same condition that got you kicked out. You see what I'm saying? If we could understand what it was that had the dragon lose his place, we could better understand what Jesus means when he says, I am preparing a place for you. Does it make sense? Does it make sense? All right. Jesus said in Luke chapter 10 and verse 18, I saw Satan fall. What did Satan do? He said, I saw Satan fall as lightning from heaven. I want you to see it in your Bible. Luke chapter 10. We're already in the book of John. Just turn to the previous book. Luke chapter 10. Jesus was there, I believe, when this war was going on. And Jesus tells us what he saw. How did Lucifer lose his place? Luke chapter 10 and verse 18, the Bible says, 
And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. How did Satan lose his place, beloved? He fell from that place. Now, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, do we call that the stand of man or do we call that the fall? The fall of man, amen? So then what we're seeing from the Bible is that falling is in fact a sinful condition. Lucifer was created perfect, but perverted his choice and became a sinner right there in heaven. Isn't that right? And if sin, my brothers and sisters, could get the dragon, Satan, to lose his place, do you think you and I can get a place in heaven and remain in our sins today? If Jesus is a savior from sin, can we stay in our sins and claim that he has saved us? You know, we sing songs all the time, and I don't even know if we recognize what it is that we're singing. So I'm going to speak the lyrics to you right now. Would you be free from the burden of sin? There is power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you over evil a victory win? There is wonderful power where? In the blood. We sing these things, beloved. Do we believe that Christ is actually able to take a sinner and to make them a saint? That Jesus can take you in your mess and shape you up and make you women and men of God, families of God. Jesus is actually looking to do that. If Satan was disqualified from heaven, in the book of Ezekiel, the Bible confirms it. It says that he was perfect in his ways from the day that he was created until iniquity, until sin was found in him. If Jesus would not leave Satan in heaven because of sin, you and I can't enter in a sinful condition. Somebody says, but Brother Paul, wait a second, wait a second, park your brakes. I was with you until you said that. I thought we could come to Jesus just as we are. Now, is that true? Yes, it is. But I want you to understand something about Jesus. You see, Jesus is so good. We can come to Jesus just as we are. Did you know that you could come to Jesus smoking weed and Jesus would not cast you away? You could come to Jesus with a thousand tattoos. Jesus would not cast you away. You could come to Jesus drinking beer and all those various things. Jesus would not cast you away. But do you know? That when we come to Jesus as we are, he never sends us away as we were. When we come to Jesus as we are, he never sends us away as we were. There is transformation. There is reformation. There is revival that takes place in the presence of Jesus. And so, yes, we can come to Jesus. And I encourage you, whatever your condition is right now, come to Jesus even tonight. Stay there by the grace of God. And you will see that as time unfolds, bit by bit, Jesus begins to, to, to change the way that we talk. He begins to change the way that we live, the way that we eat, the way that we uh, uh, socialize one with another. And as people are beholding these changes, they say, wait a minute, my brother. Mm -mm. I've known you for X amount of years. What happened to you that made you the way you are right now? That is not the brother. That is not the sister that I was in high school with. That is not the person that cut me off on the road. What happened to you? And we would be able to turn and say, there is a fountain filled with blood. 
drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners like me plunge beneath that flood, lose all of our guilty stains. Beloved, there is power in the blood of Jesus. I need you to understand, it is not just a song. It is not just a terrible weekend that happened over 2,000 years ago. There is power in the blood of Jesus tonight. October 2nd, 2021, to cleanse us from our sin. And when we find ourselves outside of this sinful condition, that is what it means to have a place prepared. So that when heaven touches earth, beloved, not only do we look the part, but we are the part and we actually fit in. You'll have the right shape, but you'll actually be an orange. Figuratively, you understand what I'm saying? You won't be the garlic clove, you'll be the orange. That is what Jesus wants to do. Do you know that you can take a, 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 a wolf and cage the wolf, leave it there for a couple of days, and when you open the cage, it's still a wolf. You can take a man and put him in prison, and, and you might even let the man free. But if you don't change the nature of the wolf, if you don't change the nature of the man, you're still dealing with a prisoner. You're still dealing with a wolf. Jesus wants to change what's inside. Too often as a Christian, it's easy to think that we can fool God by putting on a nice tie, putting on a nice suit, a nice dress, doing our hair, our hair uh, lovely. Uh, you all look lovely in here tonight. Amen? But Jesus... Jesus is able to do something on the inside that is more precious than any suit. There is a robe of righteousness for you and I that can cover more than any tie. And we can have it tonight. What do you say? Do you, let me ask you a question. Are you weary? Are you tired of this world? Are you heavy laden? Are there responsibilities on your shoulder that you just wish you could? <sighs> Praise God, I'm free. Jesus says, come unto me, and I will give you rest. The only place we find it is at the feet of Jesus. The purpose of these meetings is to leave us at the feet of Jesus. I did not come here by the grace of God to talk about the man and leave you in any other position than at the feet of Jesus. Beloved, that's the best place that we can be. Do you remember the story of the woman that was caught in adultery? No? Do we remember there was a woman in the Bible, John chapter 8. Let's turn there. We're coming to a close. In the book of John chapter 8. Now, it's interesting. When I said the woman caught in adultery, a lot of us said, yes, we know who that was. You know why that is? It's because in human nature, it's natural for us to identify people by their sins. The woman caught, if I said, if you knew the story about the woman saved by grace, how many of us would have raised our hands? It's very easy to say, Brother Paul, uh, you know, uh, I, I don't talk about it often, but one of the things I used to do ba uh, back then was I was a boxer. I love boxing. So I'd sit here, I'd watch Mike Tyson, I'd watch Muhammad Ali, I'd watch Floyd Mayweather, Canelo Alvarez, all these guys, and I'd watch them, and I'd see, you know, the, the way that they do things. And as I'm watching these men, I, I would try to model myself after watching them. God has taught me that by beholding, we become changed. You know that Jesus took me from a position where I was watching Mike Tyson, and Jesus said, you want to really watch a knockout, my brother? Come over here. Look at Calvary. Watch this thing. The enemy is defeated right there. Now, if that's not a knockout, I don't know what is. Jesus was able to take me into, the, into the, 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 the plan of redemption and to show me things that he was able to do for me that none of these men that I was watching were able to do for me. 
And it left me at the feet of Jesus in such a way that I can't go anywhere else. I can't lead you anywhere other than where I am, and it is at the feet of Jesus, not where I visit, beloved, but where I reside by the grace of God. I want you to live with me right there. What do you say? In the book of John chapter 8, I want to tell you this story about this woman that was saved by grace. The Bible says, beginning in verse 1, Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple. And all the people came unto him, and he sat down and he taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. What was she taken in? Adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now, why would these men have found this woman in the very act of committing adultery? Ask yourself the question, what were you doing in that bedroom? That's not your business. I know you didn't knock. The Bible says that she was taken in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such a woman should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down. And with his finger he wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. You saw, sometimes we complain about other people and Jesus is just sitting here, writing in the ground, paying us no attention. Because what Jesus would have us understand is while you're looking at your brother, there are things about you I want to cleanse. Self-examination, beloved. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, he that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left how? Alone. And the woman standing in his midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are your accusers? Has no man condemned thee? She said unto him, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Did the woman come to Jesus as an adulteress? Do you see how Jesus said, you came to me as you were, but go and sin no more. So she came as she was, but she left in a different position, didn't she? She left in a different condition. Beloved, did Jesus ignore the fact that that woman should have been stoned? Do you know the Bible says that Jesus is the rock of our salvation? That Jesus is the stone that the builders refused? And so when God stones a woman, you're not catching this. When God stones a woman, there's not death, but there is revival and reformation. I believe that God wants to deal with his woman, his church, in these last days in the exact same way. We're between a rock and a hard place. And to tell you the honest truth, that's the best place we could be. Because that rock, by the name of Jesus, if we fall upon it and are broken, we can be saved. Beloved, do we want to receive the cleansing power of Jesus tonight? Is it your desire not to leave as you came in, but as Jesus is able to make you? That's my desire as well. And so we understand today that the reason why Christ has not returned is because of our heart condition. He's still trying to prepare a place and we want to be prepared so that we can go home with him. 